tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this special bonus edition of the Culture Cast. I am your host, as always, Chris Dash, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Michael Swan. Yo. John Leon. Hey, everybody. May the fourth be with you, Chris. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> go away. <Just> go away. <laughs> um... So on today's bonus culture cast, we're going to be talking about To Survive. Uh, it is just come out today, or tomorrow, excuse me, uh, premieres tomorrow, and uh, it's uh, it's an indie indie horror film, I would say. And it's a desert reality survival show that goes awry in the worst way, uh, and it features... Because the producers of the show are cheap shitbirds, yeah. essentially. Uh, <laughs> it features Stephanie Greco, Jonathan Camp, uh, Ingrid Halbert... Sean Liang, I mean, these, uh, granted, um, they're not big stars yet, but what did you guys think of this movie? Don't forget Michael Laurie. Yeah. What did you guys think of this movie? I I actually really like, surprisingly, I really liked it. Um, for the most part, indie film doesn't really appeal to me, because I'm in that uber consumer mindset where I need vivid <laughs> color and, and all that good stuff, but there's a lot of good things in this movie. I, I like this movie, too, uh, and... We've talked about this before on the um, Into the Storm podcast that we're not big fans of found footage, but I think that this show, To Survive, I think it does a pretty good job of bringing a new aspect of style to found footage, uh, and we'll talk about that as we get further in. Uh, and I think that the actors and actresses in this film did better than I normally expect from independent movies. I like independent movies just because, as an aspiring filmmaker, I I like to at least give other people's work a chance, and I think that that paid off with this movie, because this movie is... I legitimately enjoy it. It's not perfect, obviously, but it's pretty good. Yeah, I'm gonna gonna agree with you guys. Um, I didn't know what to expect with this movie, and I'm kind of with Swan, a lot of the indie movies out there. I mean, it's really hit or miss, um, because it is an indie movie, and especially with the first time you know, um, director or kind of under the radar type, uh, you know, people or, you know, actors, um, you don't know what to expect because you don't really have any sort of, uh, measuring point for them. Um, and, uh, I, I enjoyed this movie. Um, you know, again, I, I was surprised at, uh, at, at kind of the fact that we, and we've talked about this before, uh, I'm not the biggest fan of found footage, but I think that they did found footage in a, interesting way if that makes sense yeah it was different enough this isn't Blair Witch Project type stuff it it, it wasn't and there's there's another indie film that comes to mind that's a little bit older that's based on found footage um, that yeah it's horror horror indie film based on found footage have either of you seen Grave Encounters I know what it's about I think I've seen it I don't remember though Grave Encounters, it's one of those films, it's really only good, like, the first time you see it. It's kind of got, like, an M. Night, M. Night Shyamalan twist to it, but... It's pronounced Shemalian. Shemalian. <laughs> but T. Survive really reminded me 
of Grave Encounters. If you haven't seen it, go check it out. It's good. It's good for that first viewing, and then you've you've it's lived its purpose. To survive takes the I guess the decent storytelling aspects of Grave Encounters, and then morphs the found footage aspect to make it kind of a visually intense and visceral. I was really like engaged in the movie because of how they used found footage. Right. Normally, normally I hate. Normally I just hate found footage, and this was actually really engaging. And and for a lot of some of the scenes that we might that we might talk about, I was like, oh shit! Like I was just I was invested in, mm-hmm. in in a scene because of how they used the found footage. And again, these actors. I mean, these actors aren't people that you readily know, so it, it takes something special to invest in this in them. I think if that makes sense. You're not like you're not like watching it like oh that's Justin Long I like Justin Long so I don't want his character to die do you know what I mean right so I mean that's that's the way I am with everything I see Justin Long in and Justin Long normally dies in everything so but I think that's also a benefit because then you don't get any of like the automatic automatic approval of one character over the other right I mean well and it's get, it's really a get... toss up you don't expect one person to survive over another right exactly it's not like they got somebody really big to play the bad person you know right. and so you don't know that they're the bad person until it's revealed and it's mm-hmm. i think that's good i i didn't get that oh this is the twist thing that i usually get when i watch movies that right. do that like let's get a big name for the big role you know right yeah it's it's real it's actually really fun to watch a movie like this because it literally puts not just the fact that it's reality TV, like it's based on reality TV, so everyone's kind of on on equal footing. Literally, because we haven't seen these actors and really anything else. They, for the most part, they have really limited. Except for Eric Estrada. Obviously. Except for Eric, well, like, he doesn't. He doesn't really count. He's a. I mean, he counts, but he does have a. He has a bit part in this. Yeah, movie. he's on screen for what thirty seconds. <laughs> hey, bro. But for, I mean, the 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 six main characters have, for the most part, fairly limited filmographies. And so they basically, as far as our attention to them, they all basically start on equal footing. So let's get into the movie, um, the actual meat of the movie. Okay, so it's this film is, there's a reality show being filmed in the desert. It's a survival thing. You have to get your group from one flag to the next, and each flag has a like a riddle or hint. And each flag also has another day worth of food and water, because the group only has a day's worth of food and water at a time. So the prize is if the whole group gets there, everybody gets $1. If five of them get there, everybody gets $10. If four of them get there, everybody gets $100, and so on times 10 for each person that drops out of the game. You're supposed to drop out by talking to the cameraman and having him use his sat phone to call helicopters, but unfortunately on their first night, the cameraman dies, and there's a password on the sat phone, and so they can't make a call. And because the producer of this reality show is a shitbird, he straight up told the cameraman not to call him because sat phone charges were expensive. <laughs> uh, and so, as these characters go on, they realize, okay, we need to work together. This isn't about the money anymore. This is about surviving the desert. We have to keep going to the flags to get food and water. And people continue to die, and there's conflict um, that we're not going to talk about in detail because we don't want to spoil the movie. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's that's really the kind of the crux of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's little things that happen that we could talk about, um, but that's the sort of baseline of the film. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I think it's an interesting setup. I don't know what you think, Swan, but I think it's an interesting setup. Um, I mean, it's, it's the, not one we really had. It's not one we've really seen. The the use of reality TV. I mean, I had seen it before because of Grave Encounters and Grave Encounters Two. Right. Um. So it was. But they do they use hand? Do they use head cams in that? No, and that's what was different, and that's what I actually really enjoyed was the head cam views for the most part. Right. Um, the like the court tape of the producer and the the motion activated cameras along the trails was was it, that harkened to Grave Encounters a, a, quite a bit because Grave in Grave Encounters they set up uh, motion cameras and hallways and things like that to cap to capture movement and shit like that if like a window opened when no one was there that kind of was that kind of thing paranormal activity yeah basic basic like random event shit that i'll tell you what though with with that intro outro stuff with the producer i don't know how you guys felt about it but i felt that that was the weakest part of the movie the producer stuff yeah because i didn't understand what the point of it was Oh, it was just to add like tone to set up yeah but I, i mean i got it but what i'm saying is i don't know it took away from the rest of the movie when I was invested in the other characters, and that wasn't really set up that well. Well, I mean, they, it definitely could have done without it, but I don't think it was particularly weak. I just think it was extra to sort of try and add to the tone of the movie, like, well, all these people are fucking doomed, is right. what it sort of tries to make it feel like with that stuff. Okay, I gotcha. Because he's getting like, uh, you know, well, why didn't you answer the phone? Why, you know... Yeah. It sort of sets up that he's a sack of shit that's sort of responsible, but not really legally responsible. And without it, you don't get that nobody's coming because he's not calling the camera guy on the sat phone. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I thought I thought it was fine. I'm not going to call it weak, but I do think it could have been done better or perhaps yeah. a bit differently to provide a little bit more strength to those segments and transition better into this actual story. But I, I do think I do think those parts were important for the reason that John just described of basically setting up that those six people are in grave peril, basically. Right. Yeah. I, I just I don't know. They were the least interesting part of the movie to me. If that makes any sense. Well, I mean, they're they're filler exposition. They're not. Right. You know, they're not like plot points. It's true. So I mean, the 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 movie opens with that that interview with the producer and then we go on to the um the scene where kind of all the characters are introduced and we get to you know see eric estrada's character playing himself i like the before they get to eric estrada they do like that that sort of reality tv show interview with the characters with like a background and then like talking about what they are yeah and so jonathan camp is like i'm mitch i've served two tours in iraq and all that other stuff that he says, and then it cuts to Sean Lang Liang Liang. I don't know how you pronounce his last name. And he's like, "Oh, I'm Bruce. I'm a hotel concierge." And I think that was that's one of the things that I think makes this a good found footage movie is that it's not all shaky cam people running. It gets cut in with the typical reality show tropes and stylistic choices, right? And they and they they fully commit to to all of that, which I think right. is really important. Um, cause a lot of the, these kinds of movies, they could, you know, theoretically not, you know, fully go for it. Mm-hmm. And I think, I mean, I personally think that they go for it with that, with all like the, the reality TV aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So, 
Because then when they get to Eric Estrada, that whole scene is literally feels like it's ripped out of an actual reality show. Right. So Chris actually got to sit down with Eric Estrada, so we'll go ahead and listen to some of that interview now and then dive right back into To Survive. How did you get involved with To Survive? Well, uh, the director who uh, <laughs> I knew for many, many years ago, Tom Newman, mm-hmm. I knew him. He was a, a trainee on Chip back in uh, 77, 78. He was the first day he was a trainee. And we met then, and we were, you know, we're always, well, we like each other, we like buddies. And 78, he worked there as a, you know, the director trainee. And Right. When he got his show together, he said, God, Eric would be great for host for this thing. So he called me up, and um, I heard the concept, and I said, sure, why not? He was telling me about young actors starting out with some of the, the first game. And I thought that was cool, and I said, sure, why not? I remember being there. So I, I took the job on. When it comes to, like, choosing projects, does that kind of influence you choosing projects when you get to work with younger talent? Well, I like it when it's, you know, young young, uh, hungry kids that want the business, want to be in this business, and pretty dedicated to being in this business. And I, I see their hunger, I see their drive, and it reminds me of when I was hungry, you know? Right. So that's, that plays a part in it, too, in not accepting a gig. So we spoke with some of your uh, cast members, and they talked about spending weeks at a time in the desert. Kind of how long were you involved with being out in the in the desert? Well, I came out for a full day to tie the whole program together out in the desert with them. I mean, I was out there with them for an entire day to tie it together, uh, to introduce them in each each uh, event they were going to do, each challenge. And uh, that, that was my involvement. That's all it took for my participation but it was a right. hot day long day desert day it was good it felt like two weeks right i can imagine being out in the in the desert oh, it's never it's never fun never yeah um so you were only on on set for for a single day so kind of what was kind of the feeling like on set with the other actors were they kind of was it were, did you had you come in at the beginning of the shoot or was it closer to the end of the shoot no i was there i was there to kick it off at the beginning, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, to you know, start off the intros, introducing and 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 giving them their tasks and the whole formula, and they were great. Right, right. So right. we spent the whole day together. We spent the whole day with all of them, and you got some really nice, nice talent, nice young people. Were there any? Um, I mean, even though your time on the set was was kind of short, was there any uh, memorable stories uh, that you have from the set? Just that everybody was trying so hard to just get it right, you know. You could just see them. They were so they wanted it to work. They wanted it to do be good. They wanted to to achieve. They they wanted to survive. Right. So their right. state of mind was always survival, survival. How do I get through this? How do I do this right? I got to get this right. I got to make the right move. You know. So they were very similar to their characters in the film. Totally. Kind of yeah. Their their gotcha. mindset was that way. Right. And I, I can I can understand that. I mean, the setting alone probably helped with putting them in that mindset. And uh, the movie comes out uh, next week. Have you seen it? No, I have not seen anything. No, I'll wait. I'll wait to see it. Great. I, I'm 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 uh, I'm excited for it to come out and kind of see what the the general public thinks of it. I I've seen it obviously, and I think it's I think it's definitely an interesting take on kind of a not I wouldn't say played out concept, but it's kind of become overused that kind of found footage thing yeah um, but i think having you in the film should bring more eyes to it obviously 
Well, I hope so for Tom's sake. I hope it does for Tom. I hope he can spin it off into a you know web series or whatever right. for him because he's a yeah. really great guy. And I can you know? I can tell him in the film that it's a is a very uh, adept hand on the film as opposed to just someone who's kind of going through the motions. Yeah, he's no, he painstakingly just got really into it, and you know, he tried to be really tried to cross all the T's and dot all the I's, and, and he's just really trying to be really meticulous at the same right. time. He's very caring. He's a caring guy, you know, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to be that way. So, Chris, what are your thoughts on the setup? I think the movie does a really good job of setting everything up more than, I mean, on top of everything else, uh, mm-hmm. which I think is good, especially for a movie like this that is saying that it's a reality based on, you know, it's a, it's supposed to be like a reality TV show, the footage off of it. Um, I think it does a really good job of, of conveying that it, this is a reality show. Right. So, and we've, we've talked a lot already about how, why this movie's found footage is good. And we don't, we haven't really described it. So do one of you guys want to explain how the found footage is done? It's, I mean, it's a, it's a GoPro, right? It's essentially it's essentially two HD 1080p GoPros on either side of a helmet. Right, and that's how the entire story is told. Right, so it's all shot from the perspective of characters, and they cut in between the helmet shots. Right, and then there are cameras on the um, little the flags. Cl- yeah, little cl- clue flags. But other than that, it's told primarily from the point of view of the characters, which is which is really well done. Yeah, it's well done, and it's also like. I didn't think about it as I was watching it, but when I did the interviews, like, they managed, they pointed that out to me that it turns the actors into also crew, because then they're acting and they're cameramen. And it's, that's a really interesting thing. I went back and I rewatched, like, portions of it, and I was like, oh man, that's gotta be weird. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, I, they knew ahead of time, um, so that they were doing it, but that's still, uh, you know, a lot to ask of just an actor. Right, I, f- I mean, I feel like I I don't think many people, I don't think many films and actors and actresses could pull that off. You know what I mean? Without any like cameraman background and to do what you normally do, which is to move like to move like normal human beings do, and you're bobbing your head and you're nodding right, and all that kind right. of stuff, and having to act and still seem natural without doing those motions. Yeah, I agree. And they still come off. Even when they're not, when you're not, when you're looking through one's perspective at the others, the others still come off as like actual people, despite the fact that they're also doing the head still sort of trying not to shake the camera too much thing. Right. And I think that's impressive, honestly, because I don't, I don't know if I could get that in my head. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that that's why this movie works so well is because of the full commitment to this found footage style. And the the reality aspect of it, right? Well, John actually got to sit down and talk to Jonathan Camp, so we'll listen to that and then come back and talk about more to survive. First, what was the audition process like for to survive? How'd you get involved with the film? Uh, at the time, my manager sent me an audition notice saying has a breakdown of the role, niche, ex-military. And I was like, all right, cool. I play a lot of military. I do a lot of cop roles. I figured it's right up my alley. Showed up to the audition. There weren't any sides. So there was no script to, to have for the part. So I didn't really know what touch was the exact details of the character. Just ex-military. So I show up, and the first thing is you sign in, you check in, you get there, and they give you the script, the audition script. So you have two pages inside. And 
then Steve, one of the producers, comes out and says, we're going to run this a little bit different. You're actually going to go in the room as a character. So it's you coming in as a reality show interview. You're Mitch, and then Mitch Adams here's a breakdown and actually gets a full breakdown of the character. Mm-hmm. Is that... Uh is that is that interview audition thing? Is that the video that's available on the To Survive website? The yes, it is. It is. So that's your actual audition process. Yeah, that was the actual audition. It wasn't a normal standard where you go and you say, "Hey, I'm Jonathan Camp. I'm blah blah blah," and then they say, "Okay, do you have any questions?" It was just you walk in, walk in. You're Mitch. They're gonna ask you questions as Mitch. Answer how the character would answer. Uh, okay, so it's completely different from any other audition I've ever done, but it was actually kind of fun because you don't have to walk in and make the small talk and do all those things. It was you were in straight to business, get it done, and then afterwards you can make the small talk after you've already done your performance instead of having to kind of wait and get to that part. Mm-hmm. So, and you said you said you play a lot of uh, cops and police officers, right? Yeah, I do a lot of cop military things like that. I guess looking the way so there's, means that look like a cop. I guess. <laughs> so there's not a lot of like um, you have experience playing that type of character, so you don't you didn't have to do any special preparation to play the soldier. Not necessarily, but it also helps. My my dad was a marine in Vietnam, and my brother actually just retired from the army, so I have somewhat of a military background, so it's kind of easy to get into that mindset and know their mannerism, mm-hmm. just being around it all my life, so that I've kind of been raised on the research. Right. <laughs> uh, can you sort of break down a little bit what who your character is and sort of what his thought process is during the shooting of the show? So Mitch is former military. He's not just former military good at his job, and that's what he does. He's in the military and in the show to win. He's not the type of guy that, that just does something to do it. He does it to be the best at it. So having that background and already kind of being a hot-tempered, I'm in it to be number one, he goes into the reality show thinking that I'm in the win this. I don't care who they are. I'm the best. Nobody's going to beat me, especially a survival show. I already have the skill. I have the background. I've already done it. I've spent two tours in Iraq, and nobody can beat me especially a reality show where you have to survive. So mm-hmm. it starts out him having that mindset of, I don't care who you are, you're not my friend, I'm here to win this, and there's nothing you can do to beat me because I'm already the best. As the show starts to evolve, he actually starts to care for the people he's with and realize that there is more to winning this reality show. It is an actual survival, and he needs to take care of the other people as well. So you get to see a nice change going from, I don't care about you, you don't matter, this is mine, to crap, we're in need of some help, and I'm the one that can help us. Right. As far as actually shooting the film, mm-hmm. you guys, the main group of actors, actually functioned as cameramen. Yeah, that was an interesting concept. Which actually, right, I think it worked. I was, it was, so we have the helmet cams mounted, and I've never done any camera work. I have friends that are cameramen, and I mean, I don't know how they do it. They're, I guess that's the different mind, an actor's mind, and a cameraman's mind. You see things completely different. But actually, working as a cameraman has helped my acting since then because it helps you realize what works on camera and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. So the cameras are mounted on the helmet. And since it's shot as a survival reality show, you obviously can't have a director and cameraman and PAs and all that stuff in the background. So we would get the general direction of the scene, we would plot it out, and then basically everyone would disappear and we would we would go, we would shoot it. So while someone stops, you had to make sure you were completely still and focused on them, but still in character. 
So if your character's mad or if your character's stewing over something, it, it's hard to stay locked on something and not want to, you know, when you get mad, you have to get puff and you want to walk away or you want to turn away from people that are talking to you. Mm-hmm. You couldn't do that. So it made you stay still, stay in character, stay in your energy levels that you were in, but remain completely focused on everybody else, which was... That's one of the things that actually helped me with the acting is when you stay locked on a character or you stay locked on someone else's performance, what you're feeling inside comes out more and also brings out more in them because you're so focused on each other that you feed off each other's energy and each other's line. And it was a really cool experience. Difficult at first. It was it's tough to get used to, but once we got it, we got it, and it seemed to flow pretty well. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you guys, the set setting of the film is almost entirely in a, the desert. Yeah. Uh, so what was the shooting process like for this film compared to other roles that you've had? Well, usually, a standard role is you're going to show up on set anywhere from five in the morning call time to eight in the evening call time. You show up, you generally you, you eat, you get your side, you go on your trailer, you, you hang out, you get ready, and then they call you. The scene's, you know, pretty much set up for you. They'll do a walkthrough, they'll light, you'll get a stand-in, your stand-in will hang out while they light, and then you get in there and you, you do your performance. Once it's done, they move the camera, you go back, you kind of hang out. Here it was very, we're in the desert for six weeks. Monday through Friday, we would get to the pickup point at three or four o'clock in the morning. We would all drive out together to whatever portion of the desert in our RVs and our cars. And each RV, we had two of them, had six people. So you're living with six people for a week at a time, Monday through Friday. People were intense that weren't in the, in the RVs. So everyone's out there. There is no real call time. You're always on call. You're out there 24-7 Monday through Friday. And you never really, it's not one of those things where you have a trailer to go back to to kind of hang out and, you know, play on your phone or watch TV or anything like that. Because you're in the middle of the desert. You have no cell reception. You have no TV. You have no really anything. Plus, you're the cameraman. So you can't leave. You need to know the light. You need to know the block. You need to know everything that's going on in the scene and every part of what's going on in the scene. So it was kind of a Monday through Friday, 24-7 work job versus your normal show up the set, eat your nice catering, you know, the normal movie or TV set life where it's, I mean, it's amazing, but it's a, it's a little bit more relaxed because they've got time. They've got so many other people working together. There's not, it's not such a small crew working so many different jobs. Right. So we all became very close. What, do you have any, uh, particularly memorable experiences from the set? Oh God, so many. <laughs> I mean, I still talk to most of the cast every week. We just stayed so, I mean, you learn living with somebody for six weeks. Monday through Friday, the whole day. I mean, it's not like you have your own separate trailers. You're with these people all day, every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just learn so much about everyone. And there are so many great conversations we'd have over dinner. And I, I, there's not one that I can pinpoint. It's just everything about everyone. You learn so much. You learn everything about everyone. And it was incredible. I mean, you really, we built a family out there. Mm-hmm. Like, I and are I you... I not tell you a favorite story of my family either because I have too many of them. So it's like, which one do you <laughs> Uh, well, are you working on anything else right now that you'd like to talk about? I just actually last week wrapped a feature film called Paris. That was an amazing experience as well. A lot different. That was a standard film, so a lot different from this where, you, you know, you got your call time, you show up, you do your job, you leave. But it was amazing. I worked with another great, great director and Michael Hurst. He was amazing. And the producers, all the cast, Zoe Bell, 
worked with some great people on that one as well. That was a, that was an amazing experience called Paradox. It's in post-production now. That's officially as of last Friday. And then I'll be in an episode of a new CW show that just started a couple weeks ago called The Messengers. I'll be showing up in an episode, I believe, sometime in July. So I play another agent in that. So that was that was a lot of fun. Got to go down to New Mexico for a week and, and shoot out in a bunch of different locations down there. So that was that was a lot of fun. So jumping back into To Survive, Chris, you had mentioned that the movie works really well because of the commitment to found footage. Uh, earlier today before we started recording, you had mentioned something about bait and switch. I, I think the movie does a pretty good job also of, of kind of bait and switching a little bit with some of the characters. Um, Wedding a little bit? Bait and switch a little ah. bit with... Um, with Jonathan Camp's character who plays like the military guy who you're automatically set up to believe that this guy's going to be like the dickhead of the movie. <laughs> I mean, because that's the way he acts. Well, I mean, yeah, he's totally like the aggressive, arrogant army guy. Right. But, you know, I don't, I mean, that doesn't end up being the case entirely. Not entirely. I mean, he's still a dick the whole way through, but. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, eventually he goes, okay, now it's not. I'm not trying to get the money. Now it's time to put aside the fact that I don't like these people and save us. And it's, it's an interesting character development to watch because you go from, uh, this guy's going to be a prick to, oh, he's not as bad as I thought he was. Yeah. While still maintaining that sort of, I dislike people. Yeah. And I, I think that, that that's a you know testament to the kind of the, the, sc- the screenwriting in this film. Because the director, Tom Seidman, is also the the writer. So, you know, he got to direct the movie he wrote. And he does a really good job of of kind of subverting what the audience is going to think, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So There's something that we haven't talked about at all that I want to point out. This movie has a lot of, like, live animals. Yeah. Like, a surprising amount of dangerous live animals. They've got, like, two rattlesnakes, two tarantulas scorpions and a fucking mountain lion at yeah. one point just like runs at one of the characters was was it two rattlesnakes i thought i only i only saw the one well there was the one there was the one towards the near near the end but there was also the one in the indian's bag Ah, uh, see that wasn't a rattlesnake that wasn't a rattlesnake no that was a corn snake oh well still lots of live animals and it's i don't know it, that was surprising to me watching this movie i didn't expect them to have you know a mountain lion I'm ass- I'm assuming because that's I mean the mountain lion thing was was crazy but I'm assuming because that first snake was in like close contact with people they went with a non-venomous variety just for the creep factor. Uh-huh. Um I'm assuming because if you look back on on films that use live animals especially when you deal with things that are unpredictable like venomous reptiles because you can't train them. No, but you could, can def- you can defang them though, right? You, you can defang, you can devenomize, but that is a highly like uncondoned practice. Right, it's frowned upon. Right, that is that is like animal cruelty one hundred and one. Right. Um. So if you look back at say Indiana Jones, the scene where he's face to face with the cobra, mm-hmm. and I mean you can see like the camera lens glare in like this glass plating that's between the cobra and Harrison Ford. Right. I'm, ass- I'm assuming with that rattlesnake scene that there is. I didn't, I didn't notice it, and if I go if I go back, you might be able to find it. I'm assuming that there is some kind of shield to isolate the snake from any from any actor or crewman. Oh or, well, you don't. I mean, you don't see it. It like hits the camera. 
well, yes, the camera's on the head, right? Yeah, the but cam- you never really well, see right, it. but for that shot, you don't know that it's not like they put that person's face right next to that snake and right. like, hey, snake, bite no. the camera. They probably took it off for that. I, under- <laughs> I understand that, but still, just for safety, for just for, like, safety reasons... I would have I would have assumed they would have had that snake iso- that snake isolated somehow while they were using it for the for the, for those shots. Right. Mm-hmm. I I think that 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 might be one of the most impressive things about the movie is the use of the live animals, especially the 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 rattlesnakes and the mountain lions. I mean, I mean the the other snake that's fine and all, but the rattlesnake. I mean, well, I mean any any time that you basically put a dangerous animal on display. You're gonna get some ooh and ah factor, and that is excellent, especially for smaller films, because you don't see smaller films typically want to take that kind of risk. Because I mean, there's always some kind of risk when you involve, a, I mean, a dangerous animal. I mean, if you look at the like production costs, and even if you look at the legal side, if you if you were to like look at some of the old school Steve Irwin stuff, uh, just the just the sheer risk factor is what drew people in to watch those shows. And anytime you can get that on in film for a movie or a TV show, that's going to draw audiences. And I mean, there's a reason people watch Shark Week every year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's nice to it's 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 definitely amazing and awesome to see a small indie production incorporate that and take that risk and do and use those things effectively. That's probably the most important part. It's not they didn't just put them on screen; they were actually able to use those use that wow factor effectively. And the- I mean, that's not like the animals is not the only thing this movie pulls off that I didn't expect from an independent film. I mean, it does there's... a really good job of of setting, of of I don't know, conveying the terror of being in the desert. Oh yeah, like slowly watching people dehydrate is freaky as shit. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty horrible. This is and this is actually probably something that you, the three of us have talked about before, whether it's on the podcast or if if we're just bullshitting, hanging out outside of doing this stuff i'm I'm fairly certain we've had a conversation about like what we would do if we just got dropped off in the middle of a damn desert <laughs> yeah i think we, we yeah we talked about that i think uh recently it was it's it's probably in the last week or two it was it was before i left it was before i left town for this last weekend but it was literally like all right you're dropped off in the desert yeah 100 miles away terrifying. from civilization like what do you do i'm like well, <laughs> oh yeah, we yes. talked about like yeah. drinking cactus juice, and... <laughs> water from the cactus, John. It's water juice. From the cactus. Apple juice is just water from an apple, bro. Oh, good lord, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, man, you just you just start walking. Yeah, and and you know, early on in the movie, something happens, and one of the characters leaves, and you know, that whole scene is really cool too. Like, yeah. I was surprised how creepy that scene was for me. With the old Native American man? Well, no, no, just the the uh, French French ladies. I don't know that that older lady's reaction to what the Native American man does. I I was surprised because at the beginning of the movie, I was like, okay, this is the character that I'm going to probably care the least about, just because of the sort of hippie New Age vibe of the character. Right. And. Her reaction to what the Native American guy does and says sort of gave credence to her ideals and beliefs that I didn't expect from the movie. Gotcha. Would that have been your reaction, John? Would you have just left? No, because I can't talk to Anna. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's nice and simple. 
Yeah. <laughs> that is nice and simple. I mean, the Native American dude, I, I would have been like, oh, that's probably for the show. Which is exactly what Jonathan Camp and Michael Laurie, their characters are like, he's with the show. He's here to freak people out. Right. And that's what I would have assumed, too. But if you can talk to the snake that he lets out of his bag... I mean, <laughs> we don't know what it says what it says to that chick, but yeah. she freaks out. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we've already admitted that that character exits early. Does that really count as much of a spoiler? No, I think that it's so that it's so early in the movie so that's quickly fine. in the film. Okay, yeah. Okay, then that's then this is something else that I wanted then I wanted to mention about just the overall what I like about the production and their commitment to the story is that they they introduced what most would probably consider a minor, a extraordinarily minor character. And they very expeditiously removed the character in a good, in a good fashion that brought credence to the story. And it, we see examples of that basically throughout the entire film of, of them giving credence to story points. And I, I, I think that's probably one of the things I enjoyed the most besides some of the creative shots that they did. You mean how? You mean because even though she's in it for a short time, she still adds value to the film. Yeah, even yeah, even though she exits early, her, her basically her her deal about being able to talk to animals or whatnot. If you tune in that radio frequency the right way, and her freaking the hell out and getting getting out of there brought some authenticity to the I guess the darkness of the Native American character and the impending peril that the group was in. Right, yeah. and then it may, and then it, when Jonathan Camp and Michael Laurie are like, "It's a show," you're like, "Well." Now we, as the audience, know that yeah. it's not the show. Yeah. You guys are fucked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I agree. It's not often that a, a movie kind of, you know, a lot. Oftentimes in these kind of horror movies, these one-off characters are just there to get killed, and they're mm-hmm. not given much any, uh, much any thought or anything. So, right. And I think other than the cameraman, nobody in this movie is even close to that. Yeah. Well, and that's the point. The cameraman. He, you know, his character is not fully fleshed out in the film. For good reason. Right. They're not supposed to talk to him, so he doesn't have any dialogue. He's there for, you know, 15, 20 minutes of the movie, maybe tops. I don't know. I don't remember how long it takes them to get to that point. But, and then he he dies, and his death is the conflict. It yeah. kicks off everything else that happens. Yeah. Well, I don't know if that, if his death by itself is the, is the conflict. I mean, it comes out later that it's... That's part of the conflict but it's definitely well, it means a, they're trapped without access to the sad phone that is probably what's most important that's that's the basically the visual ceiling of their fate almost yeah yeah i can see that and so chris got to sit down with stephanie greco and talk about to survive so we'll listen to some of that and then we'll come back again and talk more to survive how did you get involved with the production of to survive um well the costume designer jd was already attached to the film and I'd worked with her previously on some other films and shorts and indies. We worked together several times, and she got in touch with me, and she said, I just read this script for a really awesome film, and there's a part in it that I think you'd be great for. So she said she was going to talk to the director and send him my stuff, and she did. And Tom reached out to me, and he said, you know, he liked my demo reel, he liked my look. He wanted me to come in and read for Violet. So I did. I think there was two or three auditions total and just went from there. I booked the role. <laughs> so it sounds uh, relatively straightforward then. Yeah, it, it was. I didn't have to you know, deal with agents or managers or anything like that, which was nice, kind of through a referral. Um, that was the first point of contact. And then 
Tom just really liked me. We clicked in the interview, and it went really well, and, and that was that. <laughs> so I don't know if you, you – and you didn't mention this, I guess. the um, On the To Survive website mm-hmm. – there's actually character contestant videos, uh, and those are your actual audition tapes. They are, yes. <laughs> uh, is that kind of like a, a strange thing to see that kind of put out for the world to see? Or? It is, and it's always hard to watch your own work in general, and then to have to watch an audition is kind of another level. But, you know, it, it's all in good fun, and Tom asked us beforehand if we were okay with that, if we felt comfortable, and, you know, we said yeah, and... I watched it again, and it's interesting to see almost, what, two years later, my initial audition, because I feel like the character changed significantly um, right. when we were shooting, as opposed to the initial audition, because when we went to the first audition, you know, he wanted us to come in character, and we only really knew a few things. We didn't, We hadn't even read the script at that point. So we had like a one sheet with information about the character, um, what they were looking for, and we just had to kind of improv and make up our own stuff. So that was a little interesting. I'd actually never been to an audition like that before. So it was kind of neat. You kind of walked in hmm. in character and then leave in character, and you're like, what just happened? <laughs> right. So, but it was fun. Um, yeah. So speaking of your character, you play um, a woman named Violet in the film. Can you tell me a little bit about that character? Sure. Uh, Violet is, she's a very introspective person. She's not particularly social. Um, I, I would say she's a bit of a loner. She doesn't have many friends, if any. She keeps to herself, and that's kind of what she prefers. She's always been that way, and that's how she feels most comfortable. Her job is very important to her. She's a nurse, and she likes helping people, and she likes healing. Um, and she's just fascinated by human experience and people in general, even though she, it's almost like there's this wall between her and other people. Um, but when she's working and when she's in that mode, it just opens up. So she, it's like she's a different person. Um, but yeah, she, she has to have some social anxiety issues, which you can clearly see hopefully in the film. Right. Um, did you do anything special to get into the mindset of a nurse? Um, not particularly to get into the mindset of a nurse. I did have, um, I spoke with one of my friends who actually is a nurse, um, before we started shooting, just to kind of ask her a few questions about some scenes. And also the set medics helped a lot with some of the more intricate medical stuff. But um, as far as preparing, it wasn't so much for the nurse. It was more for Violet, for her personality. Um, She's so different than who I am, which is always so much fun to play. Um, But, yeah, you know, from what I had to work with, from what Tom and I discussed, I, I kind of just created this world and this life for Violet. And without giving away too much, you know, she has some really specific personality things. So I did a lot of research on that, researched other people in history and other case studies with people that are a little similar to Violet, and that was incredibly interesting. Um, Whenever you're creating a character, if you have something like a personality, you know, something something specific that you can really research and sink your teeth into, that's always you know, great. I mean, it's it's great as an actor to have that to work with. So that's mostly what I focused on when I was preparing for the character. Um, it was a lot of fun, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. 
Um, so the marketing campaign for To Survive is pretty interesting because it's trying to kind of set the stage that this is an actual reality TV show. Right. Uh, as opposed to just a movie about a reality TV show. Um, how involved were you in the kind of the creation of the material that's on the site about your character? Well, a lot of it um, is pretty much in line with what Tom and I had originally discussed when we first sat down and discussed the character before we even started shooting. So we were kind of on the same page as far as who this character is, you know, what her likes and dislikes are, and what her personality is. Um, so a lot of that, a lot of the stuff online is in line with what we had discussed. Um, you know, there's some things on there like she watches CSI. I don't know. <laughs> I don't necessarily see her as much of a TV watcher. But um, for the most part, it's, um, you know, pretty accurate, pretty pretty to what we had discussed. So, um, yeah. I mean, Tom reached out to us and said if we had any ideas, let him know. And I sent some stuff his way. and. I think he used it a little bit of it. He used bits and pieces. Do you, um, I mean, is that something important to you that the uh, kind of the director takes kind of some of your input and uses it? Is that something that you, you know, you like or does it not really matter to you one way or another? I mean, I definitely like it. I, I think it's helpful because when you work for a while on creating a character and then, you know, there's only so much in your control. Um, you never know what's going to happen once the movie's edited and once, they start marketing it and doing all the PR and the press. So it's very generous and kind of Tom to reach out to us and say, you know, we want you guys involved. We want you involved as much as possible because, you know, this wasn't a gigantic production. So we could have that one-on-one -on -one communication and he felt comfortable enough asking us and we felt comfortable enough giving him our feedback, you know? <laughs> so that was nice. And it's almost a luxury because a lot of directors and other people that, um, you know, that you can work with don't necessarily consult the actors or, you know, sometimes they don't even care what the actors think. So <laughs> it is. Right. Yeah, for sure. So speaking of kind of the, the different uh, production feel of the film, um, the cast functions as the camera crew during the film because of the way that the film is shot, uh, kind of what was what was that like? It was pretty intense, and, you know, we had a few rehearsals before we actually started shooting to make sure we felt comfortable with the, um, you know, the head cams, and we didn't. <laughs> but by the time we were done shooting, we were pros, you know. It's just, it's tricky because not only are you thinking about the character and where they have to be emotionally and where they are in their journey at this point, but you're also thinking about, okay, I have to get, you know, I have to get Ingrid and John in this scene because I'm pretty much the camera person. And I have to get, you know, Sean over here and I have to get the wide. And we joked the whole time that I was pretty much the wide for every scene because Violet is so quiet and to herself that a lot of times my character is just sitting in the corner. So I had the greatest angle <laughs> out of anybody. Right. So, you know, it, it was tricky. And sometimes we were directed, we could only move our head a certain a few inches or here, don't go past this line. And it's, it's a lot to mentally take in at the same time. And, you know, while you're acting, you're also the camera person. And sometimes we were left out in the middle of, you know, the desert and everyone had to kind of run away and hide. So we had to look at each other and be like, okay, I would go to Ingrid. I'm like, your hair, move your hair because it's in, you know, it's in the way or 
we would be fixing our own wardrobe and doing, you know, little things. So it really took on more than the actor roles for sure. Um, right. But it was neat because when when else would we ever get to experience something like that? You know, it was so unique in that sense. It was really, uh, right. really, really interesting and cool experience as an actor, something that is incredibly unique. Was that something that drew you to the role? Um, or I guess was that made clear to you before you took the role that you were going to have to be doing part of the filming of the film? Yes, it was made clear to us. And um, I thought it was interesting. And I'm like, oh, this will be a challenge. Let's do this. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I like that idea of, of being more than just the actor. And it felt, it almost feels more real in a sense because a lot of times we were, it was just us. You know, and we had to do all of those things, and we felt like we were actually in in a reality show. You know, dropped off in the middle of the desert and having to fend for ourselves. <laughs> right. So it was it was fun. It was crazy at times, and it was wild. And we have some interesting stories that we'll never forget. But you know, it was a great experience overall. So, are there uh, any of those stories you mind uh, sharing? I guess. <laughs> That, uh, I mean, I can only imagine being out in the middle of the desert filming. <laughs> we had so many stories. We had ghost stories. We had, you know, just every location. I, I don't remember exactly how many locations we went to, but there was a story at every place we went, you know. I'm just like, what is happening? We're in an alternate universe right now. This is just crazy. Right. But, um, I mean, the last day of filming was definitely an interesting day. I'm like, if we all live through this <laughs> entire shoot, it's going to be a miracle. But, you know, it's almost like the last the last day or the last few days of shooting, we had to go out in this area. Um, I don't remember exactly where it was, but we were kind of split up. So all of the actors were in one of the RVs, and we were driving to the location and you know we had such early call times we'd have to be up at like 3:30 a.m. sometimes to meet and then travel and then shoot and then travel some more so this is going to be one of our long travel days and, and we got there super early and we were driving and Tom had already been he was already at the location so we were um we were just you know hanging out in the RV doing whatever we were doing <laughs> And that day was just crazy because we got lost. I think we got like two hours off track. There was ice on the road. We were like on the side of a mountain. Then our driver, poor driver, um, he actually hit a bird. Like this huge bird came, hit the front of the RV, cracked the windshield. We all stopped. We were screaming. And then um, uh, someone ran out to go see if the bird was okay. The bird was like, not okay. <laughs> so much drama. She ended up bringing the bird into the RV with us, putting it in a box, trying to find like a, you know, a, an animal shelter or a rescue that we could drop it off at. And we lost cell phone reception. We ended up at some general store, like in the middle of nowhere. They had no electricity. And at one point, I just flipped on my head cam. I'm like, I have to get footage of this because nobody's going to believe this happened. Right. It was the craziest thing. Everything that could go wrong basically did. And the fact right. that we all made it to our location alive is a miracle. It was just insane. It was so crazy. But it was wild. It was fun. And 
that would never happen in any other situation, you know? Right, of course not. <laughs> um, so kind of speaking of the, the setting of the film, the film is set in, a, in, a, in the desert, and you've kind of touched upon this a little bit. What kind of challenges and kind of other things, did, did it, how did that affect the, the shooting of the film, as opposed to, like, other things you've worked on? Well, um, definitely probably the earliest call times that I'd ever had on a film. Um, just because we had so much travel time. Um, and, you know, we'd leave Monday morning super early when it was still dark out, and we'd be gone the entire week coming back on, you know, late Friday night, Saturday morning. We'd basically sleep Saturday, Sunday, and start all over again on Monday. So it was it was very vigorous. It was very intense. When we were out shooting, you know, we were, it was physical. We were literally carrying around packs with stuff in it, um, water bottles, sleeping bags. It was so funny. I think the last week of filming, we actually realized, well, why don't we just put, like, balloons or something light in the bags to make them look full instead of actually carrying 20, 30 pounds of gear each of us, you know? Right. And I was like, oh, it's too late. <laughs> But um, yeah, so it was it was physically challenging, um, mentally it was exhausting, um, and it was very long hours and camping. We were out camping. We had a girls' RV, a boys' RV, and a lot of the crew would stay in tents wherever we were. Beautiful, gorgeous locations at night. I mean, the most amazing stars I've ever seen in my entire life. You know, because you're just out in nature. So that was incredible, and just really living it, you know, really living as the character would be. Um, right. And then when we wrapped, we would all, we would have campfires, we would hang out, we would joke and tell stories. We became a really, really close group and like a family, you know, and we had each other and we would laugh and, you know, in the girls' RV, we would be up late talking till two in the morning or like... We know we have to get up in a few hours, but yeah, it was it was a good time. We got really close and made some amazing friends that we still hang out together now, you know. So it was different in that so sense that the connection carried through after filming and we got, you know, so close because we were living together for six eight weeks. Right. And is that is that something that's different than some of the other films you've been on, kind of this the the bonding between, you know, co stars? Well, you know, I, I on the past films that I've done, I've pretty much always bonded with a lot of my co stars and we've gotten really close. Um, but it's different because, you know, you'd show up all pretty much local shot in Los Angeles. You'd show up, shoot, do your stuff for the day. And you hang out and you get close in between takes and, you know, afterwards. But then we'd leave, go back, and that's the day. You know, it didn't necessarily carry on after after we wrapped. And, and that's the unique thing that we had with this film, that our bond and our camaraderie continued after we wrapped and we lived together. You know, it, it, it makes you... Um, get much closer and learn a lot about each other, things that you don't necessarily need to know. <laughs> so. <laughs> and uh, so, so the film comes out uh, May 5th. Mm -hmm. um, so in about a week, have you, have you seen the full, full film already? I have. We had a cast and crew screening um, was it a few months ago. Um, and we got to see it on the big screen and we were all huddled together in the back of the theater. <laughs> 
And, you know, we, we sat there and we watched it and it was very, you know, it was intense. It was intriguing. It was fun to watch. Um, right. You know, and a lot of times it is hard for actors to watch their own work, but I was just so into it. I'm like, wow. <laughs> right. So impressed with, like, my fellow castmates and how it all turned out and everyone's hard work and, you know, knowing what the process of filming was like to see it actually all come together was really, really nice. So right. I'm very happy with it. And is that something that uh, I guess bothers you? Cause you, you kind of mentioned it. Is that something that bothers you watching uh, yourself on, uh, on screen? I think, you know, I always cringe. <laughs> I think right. it's a natural response. I mean, you know, you see yourself on screen and you see all the things that you you could have maybe done a little different or, oh, maybe I shouldn't have, you know, done that or this, or I could have done that. But, you know, as, as I've worked more and more, I've just kind of tried to learn to let it go because nobody else sees it, you know? <laughs> right. You're the only one who sees that stuff. We're overly critical of ourselves constantly. But, you know, at, at some point you just have to let it go. Um, but it is always you know, nerve, nerve wracking a little to see something that you worked on for so long and so hard and you just don't know how it's going to come out. So the first time you see it, it is a little anxiety producing, but, um, but I was very happy again with the film and how it turned out. And I think everyone did an amazing, amazing job. I'm excited for other people that have the opportunity to see it now. Right. Well, and I'm I'm uh, I'm excited to kind of see what the public at uh, at large thinks about it as well because I I really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Uh, and I and I think I think uh, I think everybody else will as well. Yeah, cool. Because um, it's very it's a very different film. Yeah. From I would say what most people are used to. Yeah. I mean, some um, people have said it's kind of kind of found footage just because of the camera. Um, but right. I, don't know, I don't know if I would necessarily classify it as a found footage film. I think there's a lot more to it. So. And I'm I'm not big on found footage films, and because I feel like it's kind of overdone at this point. Right. But I didn't feel like Two Survivors really found footage. It's yeah. kind of treads the line, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Well, because we alternate yeah. between you know some other stuff. I won't give anything away, but. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I'm glad to see that you had a similar feeling and reaction to it. Yeah, it didn't have the, I don't know, there's just something about the way found footage is done recently that it just, it's not particularly well done, and I, yeah. Two Survive is extremely well done. You can see, I see the kind of what they were going for, and it felt like a reality TV show gone awry. You're good. So, yeah, good. yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, um, I guess my last question, uh, is there any other projects you're working on right now you'd like to talk about? Uh, sure. I'm actually, uh, in post-production on a short film called Gina and Jules that, uh, actually my best friend who I originally met in theater camp when we were 14 years old, <laughs> uh, we wrote, produced, and starred in together and we shot it last summer. In the desert, I was inspired by Survive. Right. And so we sat it in the desert, and it's the story of these two girls, um, best friends that grew up together, and they had kind of a traumatic event occur, and they're going on this road trip to reconnect, and something goes wrong. <laughs> it's a little uh, Selma and Louise kind of style. 
what we were going right. for. Um, but it's fun, and we shot it last summer. We've been editing it, and it's almost done. We've been submitting it to festivals. So hopefully that'll be available soon for people to see. And, you know, it was a passion project for us. We wanted to write something together for a very long time. So mm-hmm. and we wanted something female-oriented. Um, you know, both characters are women, and there's basically only three characters in the entire film. And, you know, there's a there's a good story to it. It has a good heart, and um, I'm excited about it. And I, I think people will like it and um, jive with it. So hopefully that'll be out soon, but we're finishing that. And, yeah, and that's what, what I've been working on now. Producing is very time-consuming, I've learned. <laughs> Yeah. Right, I can I can only I can only imagine. Yeah, even for a ten minute short film, like there's so much to it and our director on that film, um, Steven, he he's been incredible as well. He's produced some um electric projects and Carolina, my friend, has as well. So um yeah, they've kind of been, you know, really everyone's been putting a lot of work into it. So I'm excited to see where it goes. So looking back on To Survive Chris, this, I mean, this film is just simply, it's just excellent. Again, I really enjoyed this movie. I think that this movie is good. And like, like what we're talking about, um, a lot of the stuff in the movie kind of breaks what I would consider to be typical indie horror movie tropes. Mm -hmm. That's what I think is the big thing that I really like about this movie is it's an independent, small budget movie. And yet it does some really interesting things that are more... They're more interesting creatively than a lot of stuff that I see in big budget films that come out. Yeah, it's it's kind of amusing. It's, this is something we've talked about before with indie film and, and foreign film and, and basically minuscule genres of films. And that for whatever reason, or even if it's a, what was it that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, um, that like a brand of film that we were we were talking about but the usage of that word it was like VOD is like a derogatory a derogatory word for film. Like you hear those words and you're like, the stereotype is the film's going to be inherently bad because it's it went straight to VOD or it's an indie film or it's or it's or it's whatever. I forgot what I f- God damn it! I forgot what we were talking about two weeks a couple weeks ago. But for whatever reason, independent film kind of has that that stereotype fixated on it for whatever reason. Mostly because there's been a plethora of mediocre indie films that have been produced in the last 10 20 years but it's awesome to see something that completely breaks that and actually makes a good product and i also like that it's not i mean there are two stereotypes for independent films the first one is that it's gonna be bad and there's no reason to watch it and then the other one is that it's like super emotional serious drama my mom is dying of cancer type plot lines and I, I, I'm glad that this is an independent film that, while not campy or cheesy, isn't that super dr- overly dramatic stuff that sort of makes movies more boring to me personally. You absolutely. know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I, you know, I think that it's unfair and fairly thrown upon independent movies, these kind of stereotypes that they fall into, because a lot of them do fall into those stereotypes. Um <laughs> You know, but I don't think that this movie is one of them. I think that this movie does a good job of differentiating itself from the indie horror kind of landscape. Because there are a lot of indie horror movies. Because indie horror is, I mean, it's easy and it's cheap to make. 
Right. Horror is the easiest yeah. genre to make on cheap, I think. Yeah. Um, so, this movie does a good job of differentiating itself from the pack, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the characters in the... I mean, just the setting. And the, the setup, the setup too, is, is very different. And it's smart. It's not... Uh, it's not your run-of-the-mill horror movie. Um, and it's hard to talk about this movie and not talk about the later half of it. Mm-hmm. To, Be- to talk about this without spoiling the rest of the movie is tough because they do some really good stuff in the later half. Yeah, and we want you guys to watch this movie, so right. we're not going to ruin <laughs> it for you. Um, the, the thing I do want to talk about, and we're not going to say which character, but at one point a character falls off of a cliff. That shot is amazing. That is probably one of the most creative shots I've seen in a while. And they use it in the trailer. Good right. and I think that the, I think good and bad choice using it in the trailer. Um, if I didn't know it was coming and I saw it in the movie, I'd be like, "Holy shit!" But I kind of knew it was coming, and you're kind of waiting for it. Well, I mean, when I was watching it, I'd watch the trailer first, and then I watched the movie, and I was absolutely waiting for it because in the trailer I was like, "Oh man, that shot looks awesome!" But you can't like tell who it is from the trailer. And uh, and then as it was happening, and as the per- character was walking towards the edge of the cliff, I was like, oh man, oh man, this is it, oh man, oh man. And then they step <laughs> off the edge, and I was like, oh, that's awesome! So you, can't th- you said the character falls off the cliff. Does the character fall, or does the character just straight walk off the cliff? I figured that the character just walked off the cliff in a moment of confusion. That's what it felt like to me. It felt like the character, it felt like they just sort of step, 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 gone. And then as they're plummeting, screamed for their death. And you just watch from their perspective. That was probably one of the freakiest things for me, is like having my monitor close to me, the lights off, headphones on, and watching from the perspective of this person as they plummet to their death, screaming, was really crazy awesome it was an awesome feeling i i agree interest okay my one truest phobia is falling (laughs) i can do heights i can do heights all day put me on top of the of the empire state building put me on top of the uh, eiffel tower i'm good to go but falling the actual act of falling especially like if i like committing suicide via jumping off a building i can't do it (laughs) i couldn't do it (laughs) well i would hope well, no, not, not suicide aside, but the the act of falling, the time it takes. Because you mean, just watch knowing you're going to hit the ground. Yes, I can't. And you I, have all that time to regret the fact that you're falling off of something. Yes, there's, there's that. Or or even, even okay, for instance, like if you ever go visit the Grand Canyon, there's there's points, especially if you get off, off the road and, and get into into more isolated parts. There's areas on the Grand Canyon where if you're not careful, you can you can fall just like this character did. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And even if it's by accident, just the act of falling, even by accident, you're stuck there thinking about the fact that you're falling to your death. <laughs> <laughs> I just I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, that'd so be I, freaky. I had, I had a really hard time watching this scene because they do a really, it's probably one of my, especially if you segregate indie film from mainstream film and think about all the indie film that's out there, this is probably one of my favorite, one of my favorite shots. My all-time favorite shot is actually an atonement for di- for different reasons. But 
this scene is, is extraordinarily ingenious because it transitions about halfway through the fall of seeing the character's legs and then you basically they disappear and you just see the basically the helmet is essentially spiraling so it seems to me that they just took one of those helmets at some point and just let it continue falling in. and the character pulled like a like a base jumping parachute and just sailed away and let the camera keep falling because like i mean the camera itself it seems like there's there's not like any transition where they spliced in footage i think that they literally just let the camera fall the whole time maybe i really wanted somebody to tell me how they did it but literally nobody i talked to they were all like we can't tell you how we did that shot <laughs> if they You're... said they couldn't tell them wow they couldn't yeah, tell i mean you. they were they were like yeah it's a really good shot i because we we talked to the actors mostly and mm-hmm. so they were like we Everybody that I asked was like, well, we don't really know if they want us to say mm. how that shot was done. And I was like, oh, man. Well, I guess now is a good time as any. John got to talk to uh, Michael Lowry. So we'll uh, listen to some of that and then come right back and talk about this epic shot. How did you get involved with the production of To Survive? Just one of those simple things. Uh, I saw it posted online. I submitted a uh, headshot uh, tagged to a res- um, resume and then a, a demo, got called in for uh, an audition, went to audition at John, uh, at Tom Seidman and uh, Steve Circus, and uh, auditioned, got brought back for a callback, and uh, the rest is history, so they say. Right. Uh, you play a character named Peter. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about about his character? Yeah, uh, Peter's just, uh, it's just one of those lovely times where you just get this really rich piece of material to work with. He's this, uh, he's quite a piece of work. He's very, very full of himself. He's really, really arrogant. He's got a lot of history. He believes he's the best of what he does. There's no one else involved. Why would anybody think of anybody else? He, he's seen it, written it, climbed it, designed it. Um, you name it has very little, um, just as content for everyone and everything, everyone, everything around him is disposable, every person, everything, um, just tremendous arrogance and um, very manipulative, knows how to use words uh, to serve himself, serve his purpose, and will do anything, say anything towards that end. Not the best person to take home to meet mum, you know, he's, a, right. he's, a, he's an interesting guy. And did you did you do anything special to prepare for that, or do you have a sort of standard procedure that you do? Or you know what, I'm really embarrassed to tell you, I did very little work. I just understood it. <laughs> I just understood exactly where that comes from. I'm very very lucky. I mean, I live my life in a very um, kind of guided way. I'm a kind, mm-hmm. gentle guy. I'm just really lucky that I can access the darkest part of myself. I can walk into it and out of it at will with very, very little effort, and I'm lucky that way. So I just understood it. It was written exceptionally well. So uh, most of your work is done. You know, a lot of actors and people talk about character work and stuff like that, and I do understand that. And sometimes you have to do a tremendous amount of work, but sometimes it's just written in such a way. It's such a like a fluid journey, has a beautiful beginning, middle, and an end. It takes care of itself, and all you really have to do is... Do all of your work on the lines, learn white on rice, you know, but you really, really understand the text, and then just relax and stay out of the way and let everything do its its job, and then it does. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> for the creation of your character, Peter, there's the website for To Survive has 
extra videos and information and bios on the characters and contestants in the show. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering how much of that biography was you writing it because they said, here's your character, write a biography for him, or did they give you that information and say, this is the character? Um, it was like six of one and half a dozen of the other. It was done over a period of time. And so <clears throat> you got to really kind of like establish yourself and experience yourself and explore yourself while we were together. We had a couple of opportunities to all meet not far from Tom, the director's home. And we got together and we were all encouraged to, you know, make notes and take pictures shoot our own footage of behind the scenes stuff and so most of that stuff came out of that for all of us and then after we'd finished shooting and everything you know they were <clears throat> they asked for most of the stuff <clears throat> excuse me to be sent to them whatever we'd had whatever we'd shot any footage that we got and then to just play around and just out of like questions and answers you know we all of this stuff was established and part of you know tom and steve put together and also nick one of the producers also just established and so out of all of that you know these things just evolved right and are you um do you have any particularly memorable stories from your time working on the film uh there were so many of them because this was not one of those um productions where you know you're in a five-star hotel and uh (laughs) we were literally all jammed inside two campers that uh i think slept like six or eight and there was quite a few of us, so, um, and we were traveling all over the place, and so we had a couple of instances where um, the campers got stuck and had to be towed out um, because we were traveling all together, all trying to use the bathroom, and these horrible incidents of, like, gray water and everything getting backed up, and uh, it was quite an experience, uh, but we were made aware of that before we even signed on, so it was great to be together, and... Uh, so many of these places that, you know, I would never have had the fortune of experiencing these beautiful locations. One mm-hmm. specifically that I remember was called um, Hole in the Wall, and um, it, I don't even remember where it was, somewhere up north in the high desert, <clears throat> and this beautiful range of mountains that basically looked like this piece of Swiss cheese, just holes oh, yeah. everywhere, <laughs> absolutely glorious. And, um, you know, most of the stuff we were shooting ourselves, we had these cameras on our helmets. And so one of the beautiful experiences about this movie was that as cast members, you know, what you get to do is learn your lines, show up on set, relax, talk to each other truthfully out of, you know, an understanding of who you are, where you are, and what you're doing. But now we have this added responsibility because we were actually shooting with the cameraman. Mm -hmm. And so Tom would then um, give us a, like, shooting buddy. Like, you are doing coverage of him and you are doing coverage of him. And so while we were doing what we were doing, we also had to make sure that we were also getting some coverage of what was going on because we're in the middle of nowhere. And so all the production people had to disappear. They had to find you know, walk and find these little crevices and things to hide behind. Tom himself had this camouflage blanket that he brought with him, and so he would throw it over himself and then just lie on the ground so he couldn't so he couldn't be seen because, you know, we were, we were getting coverage of, like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of yards. And, in fact, on some of the shots, you know, a few miles, so nothing could be seen. So it was a tremendous challenge to get some of those shots. Mm-hmm. And was that... Did that make it more difficult for you to 
while you were acting, also worry about being the cameraman or absolutely. like you personally was, acting? Yeah, absolutely. In the very beginning, it was a bit of a strain. It was it, it put us a little in our heads. And then after just a few days of shooting, we were chatting about it. And, um, you know, Tom being, you know... There are, there are many different types of directors, you know, many, many different types of directors and how they work and how they establish themselves and what they're looking for and what they want and their, you know, inside and their vision and all of those things. Tom was very, very interesting because what he did very, very quickly is he started to trust us to just let us play. And so the more we got comfortable with just kind of like improving a little bit and then moving around a little bit, because if someone's saying to you, well, you've got this coverage to get over here. All of a sudden, you impose this constraint on yourself. Well, I can't move. You know, when someone's talking to each other and you're listening, you have a tendency to just gently nod that you're Mm -hmm. listening and you're hearing and understanding what the other person is saying. But when you're the cameraman, you can't do that. Otherwise, your shot's going to be dumping up and down. So all of a sudden, you've got that in your head. So it took a few days for us all to kind of just relax, not worry about it, and get used to just kind of like moving around, but moving around gently and doing whatever we needed to do and saying whatever we needed to say and establishing the story as it started to unfold. Mm-hmm. But it took uh, it took a little while. It's uh, It was nothing that any of us were used to, you know. So uh, it was a tremendous challenge and one that we all kind of stepped up to the mark for and uh, ended up really enjoying and, and getting pretty good at as time went on. And what... And, uh... and, and then the same thing always happens whenever you're doing something. You always want to go back to the very, very beginning as you start to understand things and get comfortable and then do it all again with this new understanding of it. Mm-hmm. And what was the, the shooting schedule like for the movie as a whole? Um... You mean, well, we were all together, so, um, you know, there were some pretty long days, um, and, you know, for some of these, um, locational stuff, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't even get the vehicles in. So I remember one particular time we were at this, um, open volcano. I'm not sure where it was, this old volcanic, um, space, and we had to hike in, you know, quite a few miles with all the equipment because you just couldn't get anywhere anywhere close to it with the vehicles. Mm-hmm. And then we we shot using natural light, so as soon as the sun went down, we had to leave. But the trouble with that is you're in the middle of nowhere, and you cannot see anything. And I was with the sound guy, Zach, at the time, and we got completely lost. We were walking for miles and miles and miles, and all we had was this little light in the distance that we were trying to walk towards. And in the end, after a couple of hours, we ended up actually arriving at the camper and uh, our lovely cook was there preparing our meal but you know we we were lost for an extended period of time because we had no idea where we were going everyone got completely dispersed and you could see these because we had these little headlights you could see these tiny little lights you know miles and miles in the distance all over the place but we all ended up getting back so it was okay <laughs> Uh, so are you working on anything else right now that you'd like to mention? Uh, I'm work- I've been extremely fortunate and lucky. I've, I'm working on a couple of things. I just completed a, a new uh, web series, a, a new media pilot called uh, Trailer Park Gigolo. I play an English guy that uh, happened upon a trailer park in the middle of nowhere and falls in love with an aging hooker mm-hmm. uh, called Auntie May. 
um, that's a lot of fun to do. And I just completed also an, another series called um, Hotel Barclay, which is about to hit uh, the market very, very shortly. So I've been doing a bunch of voiceovers, so I love working on voiceover uh, for Japanese um, video games and stuff like that. So I've been very mm-hmm. fortunate, and I've been working. So we're going to hop back into into To Survive and pick up exactly where we left off with the crazy cliff scene. If if I were shooting that scene, there's really only two ways I could think about shooting it. Would be to like have a base jumper jump off the or jump off the cliff and do the fall halfway down, and then pull the cord and drop the camera to have it just keep going. Mm-hmm. Or um, you basically take a dummy with the camera and weight it in such a way where at, when the dummy falls. You'll it be able to see its legs, and then, it, then then it'll go head first. Those are the two ways, and then bo- essentially in both instances, you'd have to have a voiceover, mm-hmm. which you could easily do if you go to like. Pretty sure it was a dummy. Probably a dummy, and that's and that's totally fine. It'd be way cooler if they did it my first way. <laughs> yeah, it'd also be way more expensive. Don't and care. Complicated. Worth it. <laughs> worth it. <laughs> I don't know. That shot's really awesome. That's it's a, probably... it's a, it's the, for me. It's the highlight of the film for me personally. I, l- I love that shot. Yeah, I think just effect wise, I think that's definitely the best part of the movie. I mean, I like, I like the acting and I like the animals and all the other stuff that we've talked about, but that shot standalone is probably one of the best shots I've seen in film in a while, let alone an independent film. Because mm-hmm. I mean, it's not CGI. That's practical effect stuff. Huzzah. Practical effects. <laughs> Practical effects are coming back in a big way, guys. Hopefully. Yeah. Well, um, obviously, we liked this movie, um, and we can't really talk a whole lot about what happens at the end. Know that there is a twist, um, but we can't really talk about the specifics. Um, so uh, let's just you know give our kind of final thoughts and uh, best performance. My final thoughts, I mean, I don't even know if there's much point in giving final thoughts. This movie's great. Well, um, yeah, great. Uh, it's it's extraordinarily well done, despite I mean indie film budget restraints and all all the things that go that go into making film or making a movie because all the problems that big budget films have are exacerbated in small budget films because you don't have the money to go out buy the best stuff and buy the best talent and all that stuff. You basically have a very limited workspace to make something great, and I think that they did, and it's totally worth watching. If you ever see this VOD or have an opportunity to see it VOD. Or if it's showing it at like a indie film festival that you just happen to be going to, watch this movie. It's good. And best performance, I'm actually gonna go with Ingrid Halbert. She was great. She was great. What about you, John? Uh, I obviously final thoughts is that it's a great movie. It's really good, especially for what it is. I mean, it does everything that it tries to do well, and I think that it's an entertaining movie that you should check out if you're into. Uh, found footage or survival horror movies or independent films in general. I think you should check it out. Um, we also didn't talk about they had they've they've been doing like a sort of marketing campaign that they have a website. If you search to survive in Google, you'll find their official website, and it's all set up as if it's an actual reality TV show that is currently being filmed and. Its release on May 2nd is supposed to be... Or not May 2nd. Its release on May 5th is supposed to be, like, the release to the public of the footage from the investigation. And so you see their audition... The actors' auditions. You see um, their bios. You get to see some 
information on their character that's like what their favorite movies are and what like little things that you don't normally get for characters for other films that don't do that sort of marketing campaign and I think that's really good uh, and I think you should check out that website too because that's there's some good little like nuggets of film and text information that you don't get watching the movie. Um, I don't know if you guys went and checked that out or not, but I did. Uh, as for best performance, I'm going to give it to... That's tough. I think I'm going to give it to Michael Laurie. Because his character is so good at what he does. He's the desert survivalist. And I think that he... I think that his character is one of the more entertaining because he's not actively, like... I don't know. It's hard to explain without ruining chunks of the movie, but... I think Michael Laurie does a really good job of portraying the character that he was given, and I think it, that the character itself is well-written, and I think he's probably my favorite film. I actually really agree with that. He was my second choice. I went with Ingrid because of what happens later on in the movie, and I thought that she did a good job, but I think there is some definite danger in Michael Laurie's character, in the like the aspect of his character. It definitely could have been like Steve Irwin light, and I was glad that it didn't go that way. Mm-hmm. Chris? I'm going to I'm going to go with um definitely check this movie out. Again, this movie um comes out May 5th. Um make sure to check it out, it's, you know, if you see it on VOD or like Swan said at a film festival, it's definitely worth checking out. It's kind of I'm assuming it's going to fly under the radar for a while, but I have the distinct feeling that it's going to be successful. Um, yeah, I feel like it'll probably end up as one of those like cult films that you like eventually it'll hit that movie theater show it in like Ten years from now, movie theaters will show it in their theaters. Yeah. As like, hey, this Wednesday, come ch- watch Two Survive on theaters. Yeah. Because this is, it's a really good movie. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Stephanie Greco plays Violet. Nice. As yeah, my, yeah. Um, like we said, we're not going to talk too much about the characters or kind of what happens, but her character, I enjoy her character the most. Um, and I'm going to quote Always Sunny, but her character is the wild card um, of the movie. And she and she's great. And she was also really nice to talk to. Um, and uh, you know, it was you know this uh, this um, this movie's really good. You need to make sure you uh, definitely sit down and uh, check it out. Um, I think my favorite character is Mitch, Jonathan Camp's character. He's like the soldier, mm-hmm. and I sort of connect with that because of my military experience. I know people that are like his character, uh, but I still think. I just think Michael Laurie did a better job acting for his character. But I think Jonathan Camp's character is my favorite just f- from the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can I can agree with that. Um, John, you can edit this part out, Swan, but John, who did we interview? Eric Estrada, Stephanie Greco, Jonathan Camp, and who was the other one? Michael Laurie. Okay. <coughs> uh, do We, we want to play the interviews on the podcast, right? Yeah, right. I don't know how you <laughs> okay. want to put them in. I don't I don't think putting them all in a block at the end is There's no other way to do it. I mean, I'll, you can I'll put fix, Eric Estrada's in it. when you talk about Eric Estrada. I'll f- I'll fix it. Just send me a list of who talked to who. Okay, and just do the intro outros for all of them, Chris. Or the intros, I guess. Be like, "Here's our interview with Eric Estrada." <laughs> so, am I just closing out this podcast then? Yeah, just close it out and I can I can insert the uh I'll, t- I'll take care of it. I just need a list. Okay, I need to edit the interviews as well. That's fine. Okay, I haven't done it yet. That's fine. Obviously. We got to get that up today. Today or tomorrow? I mean, the well, movie I... comes out tomorrow. Yeah. So if we get a, if we get a pod if we get the podcast goes up tomorrow morning, we'll be fine. Yeah. Mm, that's true. 
So let me close. Okay, give me a second. We'll close it out. All right. So uh, before we close this out, uh, is there anything uh, you want to plug, John? Uh, my Twitter is John L E I N one. Also check out our regular Culture Cast podcast and our Chronicles from the Crypt podcast. Those are always entertaining and fun, and we talk about not only we talk about all kinds of movies. So you get independent movies, and then you also get big budget things like Avengers Two, which is coming up soon. Yeah, that that's uh, that's that's tomorrow as well. Um, Swan, what about you? You can follow me on Twitter at m e s w a n n j r. That is me, Swan Junior. You can follow me on Twitter at HeelStash. Uh, like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter uh, at CultureShocked on both of those. Uh, and uh, subscribe to the CultureCast on iTunes. Um, and we have big plans the next couple months. Can't talk about them yet because they're still kind of in the works. But uh, keep your uh, ear to the ground if you're a fan of the site. And uh, make sure to check out To Survive. Comes out May 5th and uh, it's a really great movie.